Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most influential and listened to podcast in auto detailing. Welcome to the community. Hi, welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. I'm Marshall. That's Nick. You can find us at the HyperClean Specialist Group on Facebook. Great place to be. We're going to be sharing quite a few different questions and stories coming out of there. Before we do, Nick, uh, listen, we got an update. You will find it funny. Everybody needs to know if you have gotten a package and you've had some complaints about UPS or USPS. We heard a really great one came out of Dale's the what, a couple of weeks ago. His package went all the way to Guam. Listen, we had a guy that just sent us a message this weekend where he got a gallon of slick damage, basically, in a sense, because he only showed up with about half of it. <laughs> well, turns out it took him a month to even get that half and make it even more ironic. He was only 90 miles away. So, hey, kudos to him, man. Didn't didn't complain a bit, but it took a month to move 90 miles from USPS. Like, yeah, I think good. that was Dan, Dan up in Wisconsin that got the Guam uh, yeah. package. I yeah. think uh, one of the themes from the past week of my life was domestic shipping was a big topic of conversation at the SEMA show uh, amongst those of us that ship. And word is, it's bad for everybody. So our team does a pretty damn good job getting your stuff out. But sometimes we like to share a little bit of headache that can come along with giving a third party the package and but good news coming out of hq and what you've done work done we've been a bunch of meetings right back to you ups worked out new deals with them and shouldn't yeah. have stuff going to guam and shouldn't be taking a month to get 90 miles so hey when you start shipping more stuff ups comes knocking and wants to to do a new deal and so we're going to be uh ups shippers here for the next uh, i believe year right that's a year-long <laughs> yeah. contract i'll see how they do no, yeah, they've been pretty good. Again. All right. I'm diving into my last beer from Kevin. Man, has been a great little bit that he sent me. This is from Bissell Brothers. It's called Nothing Gold. It's a double IPA. Ooh, 8.2%. Here we go at the end of this episode. Might get pretty good. All right, Nick, buy and sell. What are you buying or selling? Well, I got to buy something big here. You know, for a for a guy that doesn't care about politics, I cannot wait for these ads to be over. Jeez, oh, Pete, I think they're over tomorrow or when most of you guys are listening to this because we are live on Facebook right now. Uh, we should be at the end of the ad season, right? If I'm, isn't everybody voting tomorrow? So I can't wait. Uh, it's just so painful. Even when you're not political, they show up on your phone. They show up every which way. You're trying to watch a football game, a basketball game, a fight. It's just like every two seconds. And uh, so I'm going to buy that as of tomorrow, we're kind of finished for a little bit with the uh, whole big ad spend in the political world. Boy, the first time I've seen is the ad spend has gone to your cell phones more with videos. Ooh, man. And, man, getting hit. I'm I'm blocking a lot of calls lately, blocking <laughs> yeah. a lot of numbers because it's just like, wow, I, my name's not Tom, by the way. It's not Phil. It's not anything like. Man, <laughs> this is as bad as it's out. ever been to me. Yeah. Hey, this guy so and so doesn't support such and such. Uh okay. Right. Man, it's wild. So I'm yeah. buying being done with that. All right. Well, I'm selling, and this is gonna be a theme a little bit today, but it was what I was told you I was gonna sell, and it's gonna be actually just part of the segment. I'm gonna sell actually the the what to use guy. 
and I'm going to say it, I'm selling the what to use guy because uh, on the Wagoneer, the Grand Wagoneer, they just got completed up finally. Customer took it back today, thrilled, loved it. Uh, listen, I had to use all kinds of, I mean, all kinds of stuff through the HyperClean lineup to go through and figure out things. And for some people that just go on to <laughs> any group really and go, hey, what do you use for such like, listen, that's the beauty of detailing. I absolutely love the different types of towels that we have using the, the Versa towel sometimes, using the workhorse in different places, like using towels in different ways, using Revive in different ways that came to be new. But you talk about the Grand Wagoneer and how much we've said this, it's been a thing, how many different, wow, you got <laughs> so Crazy many different services. things to clean on that. Yeah. I love using Revive or for it. And so you don't need to, to, to go in and ask what to use for the interior. Just yeah. use Revive. But then you're going to have all these different brushes, of course, different towels, different things you can use. Just go with that. It's so much easier. But fun of picking out and trying to problem solve. After I was going through one of them last week. Well, I, I, you called me and I was like, you were making fun of me. And I go, Nick, but it's actually the joy of problem solving. When you got vehicles that give you random little spots that you don't know what you're going on. And this is doing this. You go, okay, well, how do I figure it out? So I'm selling that guy and listen, just go for trying to figure it out. That's what makes it fun. Yeah. No, you got to embrace that because if not, you're going to drive yourself nuts. Right. I mean, yeah. that's guys that just think there's a one size fits all. And that's why when the hyper clean line continues to grow, we hope we can give more, more valuable tools in the toolbox instead of more generic stuff. Like you see other, other places. So there's uh, one, a rhyme or reason. One great place that I found glass cleaner, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, wasn't just some of those door jams and the soft metals that are around it, but around those letters are big. They're nasty and they collect a lot of nastiness in them. Listen, glass cleaner and a towel does some wonders. Does yeah. some wonders. And All right, so let's my, get in. My advice is always rip off those letters. Oh, yeah. I don't blame you either. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's get into a couple of things from the hyperclean specialist group. These will be good. Sean, great question. Something we've talked about as spray code has now come out. People, it's we did an episode. What about using this or that? Hey, Sean goes, listen, I love the mixture of the two of them. Spray coat topped with slick. Like, wow. Yep. And the the Ford that he put out there has got some incredible gloss to it. Yeah, I think you know the purpose of both products is they, they react different. They have different water behaviors. They have dis, different gloss enhancers in them. But I think one of the most important things to realize is they do work well together. You know, you don't have to use them necessarily on the same car. So I shared a little bit and answered that question in the group. I've been loving on my own personal vehicles and as well as some customer vehicles we were testing these products on what was this slick one week spray coat the next you know, slick the next week, you know, alternate. That seems to be something I really enjoy. And then we had a great response to that, which is, you know, will we start to see this smear and be tough to work with? And the answer is no. If products are formulated properly, in my opinion, you shouldn't see a ton of that behavior. That doesn't mean it's never going to happen. I mean, the word never is a little bit too long, but we just don't see it. And I use it on, you know, black BMW paint, uh, that I am the only one responsible for. And I can tell you, we don't see that adverse reaction. So this is another uh, check mark in the wind column that if you do these products properly from a chemistry and, and test them properly and make sure 
that they work together, you really shouldn't have those adverse reactions. So that's a pretty cool thing of those two products. Yeah, another great question from uh, Wesley Oaks. And this, he says serious question, but you never know if these are serious or not. There's no doubt that as foamers and then the, the, the cool little soft detail brushes like we have, they've really started to change over the past years, change the way people are clean doors. So, you know, Wesley's quote unquote, seriously questioning, but, yeah. uh, but do people really use soft detail brushes? The answer that you gave, this is why I brought it up because I definitely have switched heavily over to the scrub monster and the, the ways you can use it. I've got a video that I'm going to put out. Uh, I did it where you could use revive on the back of, of the seat using the scrub monster and using some different towels is great. Listen, I cleaned up uh, carpets and using that backside, not the microfiber side, but the other side, it will scrub and you can clean carpets. It's one of the most versatile little tools that I know that yep. we have. Yeah. And look, there's a lot of show to content. You know, we, that's why we try to tell people that you need to be careful what content and what you're taking out of online content, because there's no doubt it looks really great on a camera when you use a tiny little soft brush and, you know, go in circles. And, you know, when we create content, you know, we all kind of have to play this little game of making things look as grand as we can in the real world, scrub monsters king. It's it's the biggest one on the market. That's why we called it a monster. It absolutely has way more active uh, fibers on that aggressive side to help you scrub than anyone on the market. You don't have to replace it a whole bunch uh, like other ones on the market. There's no doubt. Hands down, you want to clean an interior as fast as possible and as gentle as possible. Take Revive and a Scrub Monster. It's a winner every time. All right. The the final one coming from Billy, and this is a great question. We we have heard it. He even said, he goes, I hear it in different groups. It's a thing that comes around this type of the season. Listen, you're done with SEMA. The next thing is on everybody's radar. Was we we were measuring, trying to figure out, well, right? Well, what Black Friday deal are we gonna get? Right. Like yeah. measuring in, figuring out what we wanted. Black Friday is the next thing. It's something we yep. proudly do here at HyperClean. We love working on Black Friday, but should a service-based business, right? Like consumables, products, all that stuff I get, right? As a consumer-based business, this is a mixed theory. Should you run a Black Friday sale? I'm going to go with no. I wouldn't do it. Um, but Nick, love to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah, I've kind of shared this a lot on the podcast over the last few years. I really take the holidays very different than most people. I find if a service-based local business gets hyper-aggressive during the holidays, sales, whatever, there's very low return on it. And the type of customers you really want are not attracted to those. They kind of want to be left alone during the holidays. They already got a whole bunch of stuff going on. We have kind of found over the years and, you know, when you want to work with high quality clientele, I think you can say this even for your own family, if you really step back, the last time of the year you want to be bothered and you want to be, you know, sold to is when everyone in the world is doing it. Black Friday, I don't think is a local based business holiday you know, maybe look at something like July 4th, if you really want to run a holiday sale locally. But here's my personal belief. I just have never run sales. I haven't found that it brought in the right people. 
I, I don't think the right people look for sales from a service-based business locally. So I've always stayed away from it. And I think that's the big one too, right? Is you could make some sales and that's a great thing, but then you got to go clean those people's cars. Those people that needed a deal in order to buy the service is that somebody that you really want to be cleaning their car? And this was brought up in a different way from another guy that sent in a message about asking, should we receive, if you're a service-based business detailer, should you allow people to do that, you know, payments or, you know, take a thousand dollars and they, you know, they get these, you know, these other yeah, payment shop, forms. Yeah. Shop pay or something like that. Stuff like that. And that was, that was my point to him. I go, do you, do you want those type of people in your business? You know? Yeah. I mean, if you, if you have to do this to afford a detail, they're probably purchasing something they can't afford. They're going to have unrealistic expectations on you. And I would say it's probably a hundred percent chance you're going to have a bad experience because though, I mean, Groupon was notorious for this, right? You'd sign up for Groupon. You'd think it was going to be great for your business. And then you had to deal with people that bought stuff on Groupon, which was just a, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's as heavy anymore, but just a huge discount site. And so you'd bring in these hundred new customers, but unfortunately you forgot those are the hundred customers that are constantly searching for a deal. I've never found that our type of business is very deep into that looking for a bargain clientele. If you're going to go that route, your business better be prepared for that route. And there's a lot of people that make money in the low end, but that's usually who you get is the low end looking for deals. All right. So we had, as as people know, inside a community, hey, uh, how did Jeep Grand Wagoneer come through the shop? Been working on it many, many days. <laughs> it's very large. I'm old. And, uh, you know, let's just leave it at that. So yeah. took old man a little bit of time to get her done. But customer was thrilled, right? Customer loved it. I said, well, what is it that you love about this Grand Wagoneer? And she said, well, you know, coming coming off the Escalade, it, it just seems to have better room. It's got more stuff going on. She likes it versus what she's had. She's thrilled with it. I left going, yeah, but that's $109,000. And there was a, God, there was, I don't know. Like it's an interesting vehicle. So let's chop it up, right? Let's chop up that Grand Wagoneer. Cause I didn't know if I'd be in this place. I was actually doing, when I was working on it, I got a phone call from a buddy of mine. I've mentioned him before. His name's Stuart. He's a pilot, real nice guy was flying around. I think he was in New York. He was bored, drunk in his hotel room and called me, right? Why are you calling me? Well, so we start chopping it up because he knows my dad's Grand Wagoneer. We'd worked on it before. He's all about it. So we're going through this and he goes, he gives me a quote that's very interesting. I found that to be die into just the Grand Wagoneer is perfect because it was something about his father. And he said his father had everything he wanted. He was an oral surgeon. He got the wife. He had the kid. He had everything. And he goes, his dad goes, hey, hell on earth is having everything you want and none of it working together. I hear that. Fucking great scene. I, and I'm sitting with that. this Grand Wagoneer and I'm going, yeah, because I can't figure out how to do this. I can't have it like, I think I should be loving this vehicle, but it's giving me all kinds of shit. So yeah. let's go a little bit of segment real quick on some things that some detailers or anybody that's detailing a Grand Wagoneer, things to look out for, things to be careful with. No doubt. I was surprised. Not only Cass, who his wife has a Wagoneer, he had burn marks, those little circular burn marks where they were trying to get trash out, but they didn't get the, all the trash. They 
well, hell, I got some spots that I had to show the customer. You still got trash in your paint, but then we had burn marks coming from the factory that I was able to polish out. That yeah. was a big, that's two vehicles straight in, both having those circular from, uh, we know what that was, that DA, that circular, yeah. and they put that little sanding disc yeah, on it. Yeah, they're trying to denib the paint. Yep, yeah. trying to denib the paint. So you're definitely going to watch out for that. 100%, they've tried to copy with all the materials the metal around the edging, the metal onto the rims, but it's very soft, soft oh, metal. Yeah. My 84, it's got hard metal. It's yep. stout. The 2022 is soft. Nick, yeah. how do we approach these rims? Because I, I got, listen, I know what I did. Walk us through it. I used Fuego too. You got yep. it. This is the, the, the reason we have it because you get into these yep. rims with anything else, caustics or other things. This is very, very soft metal. Yeah, and I think that's the reason we tell people. There's two reasons that it's that you use a product like Fuego over some cheap $20 wheel cleaner, okay? The caustic part of it, whatever. That's all known in our, in our world here. We've said that enough. Here's the next part. If you don't have something that's actually got enough power to break down the things on the rim, that means you're going to have to agitate the rim. The more I agitate the rim, the more likely it is I'm going to scratch these metals. And so this is the exact vehicle. You can go to painted black rims on Range Rover from the factory. You can go to a lot of different high-end cars that, that have these kind of soft metal type of rims now. This is the purpose of using Fuego. It breaks things down, which means I have to agitate less. If I use a $20 wheel cleaner, it's not breaking anything down. I am going to have to go in with a brush or something like that and agitate the dirt. The more I agitate, the more I scratch. It's as simple as that. And when you start to work on these types of vehicles and you think to yourself, how can I use this cheap, popular $20 wheel cleaner? This is the after effect. You're going to look, you're going to step back from those rims after using that cheap wheel cleaner and brushes. And you're going to go, wow, those look terrible. They're going to look terrible and if you reverse engineer it, it looked terrible because you got no help from the wheel cleaner. Like you say, heavy caustics, you're probably going to mark those rims up. Too little cleaner or ineffective cheap cleaner that maybe doesn't have a ton of caustic that might just be soap in a bottle. The issue is I'm going to have to go ahead and do what? Agitate the rim, which is going to scratch that surface. Yeah. Uh, another place you got to be careful around is not just the metal that's, that's the soft part. It's what the disaster that I got into is, is for some reason, the way the Wagoneer, the way they built it and everything around all the edges, I blow dried this thing three times, three. And I was on the phone with you and I was cussing. You go, you didn't blow dry it. I'm like, I blow dried it three times. You know, Cass said the same thing happens with him. For some reason, they collect a lot of water. So yeah, you got, if it's a maintenance, cool, get it blow dried. You're going to have some dripping on different places. Customers probably aren't aware of that. The reason, though, that I really got to make sure everybody understands this is if you go to coat it, especially if you're using tray, listen, you got to be really careful. You make sure I, the best thing I did was went ahead and decided to just go ahead and wait till the next day. Like, I just wait. Yep. We don't believe we also always talk about getting cars out, getting cars out, getting cars out. I could not, humidity a little bit here was high. 
I blow dried spots three times. And still I was writing down when I was so mad, I was set down and finally was writing out a show note because I wanted people to understand how bad this was three hours later from a rinseless wash after I'd polished it, just a rinseless wash. Cause I love to do that after I've done, I'd like to do rinseless, get, make sure I get everything off. Sometimes I'll do that. And after that, three hours later, still was having drip marks. Yeah, After it used to happen on the, the, the last generation of uh, Escalade. And actually, when we would do maintenance on them, I would ne- if you put a pressure washer near the back, which had a tendency to leak out of the emblem, yeah. I, it was like a fireable offense. After I was like, hey, we'll just rinse this wash back here. You can't, you can't use soap and water. I don't care how bad it is. And, and the reality is this, this is kind of stuff we've all dealt with right i mean you you can go to a million vehicles somebody's got one in their head right now and they're like yeah you know this one vehicle water leaked forever but you know you go to use a robust coating like tray and you happen to have some water trickle out and it starts to react with that coating you got a big issue and so you 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 run into these times when you kind of look at it that's really a point of the fitment's not very tight in those areas you know things aren't really robust and fit together in a nice luxurious way. And so now you got a $109,000 vehicle that you got to leave overnight because if you try to go and code it, you're just going to go ahead and solidify the coding on impact there. Yeah. And look like a rookie. Yeah. Have Nick make fun of you. <laughs> hey man, <laughs> it's one of those things, right? Until you do it, until you get your head cracked, you go, uh, yeah, I think I probably should wait. Yeah. Uh, last one, which I mentioned earlier was definitely those letters. Gosh, those letters are brutal. They're so big there. I, I don't know. I, the vehicle's big. They had to make grand Wagoneer huge. I guess right. Grand. Like I get it. They're going to cause a lot of problems for cleaning. I I'd already know these are going to be some of those letters. If you go over with a wash mitt, you're going to grab them. Out. That yeah. mitt's going to just start ripping yeah. detailers are going to have a problem with, with these letters. It's not just that part. It's how much dirt and how much crap collects inside of them. I, I was with our soft detail brush. Cause it's whatever. That's that fun video. I was doing it too. And I still, right. Still oh, yeah. had, I was still finally, then I was like, here's the way I finished out cleaning them at the very end was glass cleaner, hyperclean glass cleaner, or hyperclean, <laughs> hyperclean work, you know, getting in and using our little edge of the towel and just lightly going oh, yeah. over with your fingers and just getting it. This is where it comes down to the detail details of the detail, right? So and here's how I solved yeah. it. So here's, you know, 20 years of doing this and running into it and maybe having a walk around with the client and always having on your radar film guys will actually probably do this a lot more. That's when you propose rip these off. Hey, let us take them off. They're going to wear terribly. They're going to look bad on the back of your, your, your vehicle. They're going to look dirty. I mean, this is when you got to go into full sales mode, right? Get these off of your car. And Honestly, I've sold that to anybody that'll listen for years. I mean, emblems, and these just happen to be egregious, right? Like they're just so big. They're going to look terrible in no time. It doesn't matter if they're coded. It doesn't matter how good somebody does on a maintenance. doesn't matter. These need to be ripped off. And that's the only way to make the back of that car look better. And, and the crazy part is for those that have never had a D-badge car, they don't know how great it is. 
right? They don't know how clean it'll look longer term. And so it's kind of a hard thing, but look, we did a Corvette that I shared a lot of, we did full body PPF and that guy was adamant. Don't take anything off. And I'm like, all right, man. I mean, that's your decision. Well, this one time I had a bad experience. I said, this isn't that one time. These emblems, even if they break, they're available a mile. Down. But look, man, some people get it, some don't. But I advocate that do the walk around on a vehicle like that and and try to sell emblem removal when you see those problematic emblems because it's better for the client long term anyway. So this customer was a former. I remember when when I first uh, met her and the first cars that that we started doing for her. She actually was a two door red Jeep owner. Uh, hey, so we, her. we talked a bit about Jeep and it was interesting the way Jeep's done this. They, uh, they're starting to, maybe it's just me noted. I don't know. I haven't seen too many people talk about this. Is that a thing now they're putting this, that little Jeep emblem all over everything. Cause they hit it on the grand Wagoneer, And it's this little Jeep. That's got the, the old school, right? The old school Jeep two door. It looks like the 1970s style. Yeah. They're sticking it now everywhere. They've now hit it on the Grand Wagoneer. Do you know where? Yeah. No, if I pay it. Front driver grill down at the bottom inside of this is why I bring up that soft metal. It's inside of that soft metal right on the grill. And I went, wow, interesting. I guess Jeep really is luxury. Stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, why would they do that? I mean, it's like, what the, f I mean, say that you shouldn't pay $109,000 without saying you shouldn't pay $109,000. Like, like it's why? like, what are, what are you doing? I, as if the big letters in the back. And you know, that's what I say about these trucks now. Like, have you seen GMC GMC on the back of a truck now is like, yeah, you know, massive. massive. It's like, just say you're not supposed to be charging somebody around a hundred grand without saying it. And it's the emblems, right? The emblems give it away. And now with this, it's over. That's not a hundred thousand dollar vehicle. And I know you agree with me. So you might <laughs> as well admit to everybody here. It's just not a hundred thousand dollar vehicle. I mean, the size of it is great. And you know, it all sounds great in theory, but the more you went over all the surfaces, you're like, this is a Jeep. They didn't step up. They don't know how to manufacture some of those metal pieces. They don't know how to fit and finish the interior. It's just not who they are. And so everybody now is just a guinea pig and maybe Grand Wagoneer in five to 10 years turns the corner and I'm proven wrong. But usually you see these drop like a rock in the aftermarket. You should. And detailers, if you're starting to or detailing at your house, whatever, I mean, it's such a weird word now, but. If you're detailing a vehicle and you're detailing a Grand Wagoneer and you're detailing the inside and you wipe your towel over parts of the screen and parts of the shifter and random and you hear random things going off and lights going on, don't worry, just keep wiping. <laughs> but there is this new sensor to things yeah. that start lighting up and you're going, the first times I'm going, oh, shit, what's happened? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, no, it's, it's, look, man, Jeep's good at what they're good at you know, stay in those lanes. And that's what we've advocated on the Saturday episodes when we have had a conversation about Grand Wagoneer or other uh, people jumping into this $100,000 world. It's a lot to pay for a car and you should expect a lot. You know, when you pay $100,000 for an SUV or a truck, I should get in there and say, it feels like a hundred thousand. I will say this till the end of the, 
into the world. I've gotten in very few cars in my life. When you look at it statistically that I go, this is a six figure car. Because when you really get in a six figure car, when you sit in that Bentley leather and you smell Bentley or you smell an S 600 and you sit in those seats and you step on that carpet, you go, this is a hundred thousand. Okay. So you mentioned carpet. The one thing they did really well, but that's, I was wanted to mention it. They did really well. This is a plush, really nice carpet, but for anybody that's in maintenance, it's going to start to become a nightmare. It's so thick. It's so plush. If dirt gets down in there, and if somebody gets into it with some real muddy, dirty shoes, that's going to be tough, tough, tough to clean. Yeah. Well, I'd take that over the cheap carpet, though. You got it. You got to. You got to pick your poison. I'm going for poison. the plush AMG carpet over. It's not AMG. This is like really. It's like they did a version of the the '70s style carpet, oh, thick, no. big, high, but plush and thick. I mean, it's 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 different. It's not AMG. It's not. It's big. It's thick. It's interesting. Anyway, let's move on. Anyway, let's move on because we we can keep digging yeah, into them sure. all day long as we dig through the the Jeep Grand Wagoneer. You know, interesting thing the two that happened this past weekend, and I, I've got a lunch coming up this weekend. And, you know, as holidays happen, this is what I love about holidays. Usually, usually you get family coming in, you get family coming in, and everybody wants to see everybody, and you get to catch up, and you get to do all this. Not, I love doing those. So Sunday had lunch. All my family, new wife came, uh, have a, have my, my sister, having my, my mom, we're all going to a restaurant because my cousin, and it's my cousin from that we all, we don't see, I think it's been a couple years, cousin from my mom's side, but it's my mom's brother's daughter, right? And you know, she starts talking and we start going off and she's, you know, typical daughter complaining about her dad. And it's like, huh? Okay, well, tell me a little bit more about your dad, because I don't know a whole lot. I just remember, and this just goes back, there's a little bit of family inside information. So my family, right, I'm Oklahoman, born and raised Tulsa. My mom's side of the family comes out of Stillwater, which is OSU. My granddad was an Olympic wrestler, undefeated through college, quite a stud. And my, my grandparents had two daughters and one son. The one son goes to OU. The two daughters go to OSU. So immediately there's a big battle in there, right? Fun times. Well, this guy is different. And my uncle apparently in college, and I didn't know all this because the way my uncle set up his business, family wasn't allowed to be involved. So I later in life, right, when I'm in high school and I'm starting to mow lawns, I want to go work and talk to him, but he won't let any family in. Apparently, my uncle had in college gotten three hours to his degree, and then a professor talked him into clean uh, mowing his yard. He starts mowing one yard. Next thing I know, he blooms it up into this massive thing. I never knew how he did it, but, Nick, this is this is the guy that – we would look at in our industry, and this is landscaping, this is somebody that just started mowing a yard, and he grows, quote unquote, business all the way up till then, I think in when I'm in high school towards college, sells out to like Kim Lawn or one of those national brands that comes in and just swoops everything that he had built up, and he retires off into... Maine and he's sitting on the ocean in Maine. He buys a house in Cayman Islands and we get to go visit. I mean, he's done extremely well for his life. 
all started by just picking up a lawnmower and pushing it around and cutting grass. And it's just like, yep. wow. And I'm talking to my cousin. I'm going, okay, well, this is all brand new. I, I mean, I, I didn't know all that. I didn't. I, he's never. I've never known his story. Nobody's ever talked about him. He doesn't deal with his business with his family. I've never known really hardly much about him. Smart. Right? Yeah. Right. Smart. <laughs> Smart. And so that's when we start going, okay, there's a mindset to him. There's a mindset to people that can do what he did. Now, this is the great American dream that we all go chase after, especially service-based business. How do I start going to clean a car? And then later in life, which everybody wants to do, you ask anybody, what do they want out of? Oh, I just want to be happy. I want to sell out. I want to have this. I want to do whatever I want. Build a big company. Nobody starts a business. This has kind of been our argument. We have a lot of solopreneurs in detailing. And after they do it for a long time, they're like, well, I don't really want to hire. You and I have heard that. I've tried. It doesn't work. I've never met a single guy that started a business in detailing that at the beginning didn't think, I want to build a big business. That's the only reason to start a business. So here's a guy that went from a blue collar start and had a white collar finish to it, right? I mean, you don't get that big by... He wasn't the guy mowing lawns. He's the guy that started mowing lawns. He's not the guy that finished mowing lawns. And that's the hard transition, right? I think we'll get into that a little bit today of some of that bugaboo around how do I go from this blue collar start HVAC tech, uh, lawn care guy, whatever. How do I get out of the detailer detailer and go into where I'm working in the office? I'm making big moves. I'm in charge of sales and marketing. Is that what I really want? Because there's a lot of people in your uncle's position that would be like this. They would continue to run the field and they would hire all the office staff to do sales, marketing, administrative, all those behind the scenes things just as easy. He made the transition where he probably wasn't the guy pushing the lawnmower anymore. And and, and that's the detailing issue, right? Which guy are you going to be long-term? One's not right, one's not wrong but there's a dichotomy between both of them. Yeah. And you're right. And the guy that he built up through most of his career, the one thing I do remember, they always talk about this guy named Randy. Randy still works for the company that had bought him out and they're still yep. over just a couple miles that way. Right. So, yep. and, that, and that's what we always say. I guarantee you, Randy's had a great life, had a great a life, of, had a great a lot life. of money, mm-hmm. built his family, all that kind of stuff. And this is what shows you. Getting with a guy like your uncle, who's the owner, being taken care of is almost a given. He's probably gotten a payout from the sale. Usually your top people get the payout from the sale. Then he got to stay on probably at a pretty high position. This is why when so many people tell me they don't want to work for somebody, I go, man, being an A-level player for the right people pays real good in this world. You know how I wanted to start going into trying to figure out how to work for my uncle, which is why I was told I couldn't work? My mom would go over and they had a wash bay. And sometimes she would go over and we would wash her car inside of this wash bay. But they had all these fleets of trucks. Oh, yeah. It's ironic, right? Like, it was ironic. My way into seeing what all he did was inside of his wash bay. But, you know, so let's go over because it it is interesting. There's a book that's been out. It's it's massively popular. Uh, I've now, you know, recently seen it inside of our house. I've read the book before it's rich dad, poor dad. 
And it's oh, yeah. almost the same concept of what we want to talk about, right? You've got my dad versus his brother-in-law. We already know, right? Like you already know that brother-in-law dichotomy, but I only heard what my dad had said about my uncle. But now we look at it from a different lens of, well, now I'm 44 building a company and seeing things that my uncle did, the mindset that he had versus my dad, what he yep. had. So you had said it a little bit earlier. It's a, it's a thing that we would want to say, basically there's a white collar versus blue collar. So before we get into that, explain what that means for people who might not clearly understand what a white collar person is versus a blue collar. Yeah. And the first thing we should say is it's not right and wrong. I think a lot of times it's looked at as what's, what's, what's the right way to live? What's the wrong way to live? Basically the way you can divide up a workforce at your company is blue collar tends to uh, do the service and the white collar does the sales, the marketing, the customer service, the administration, the bidding, the et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever's in your business. And I think a lot of times blue collar will look down on white collar and white collar can look down on blue collar, but it always seems to be that we think there has to be this wrestling between the two. And quite frankly, there's no successful business on the planet. Something like Amazon, you need the delivery drivers, but you also need the guys to know how to design the website. I can't run Amazon if somebody's not delivering the packages, which would be more in the blue collar. And I can't be successful and have people ordering stuff on a website if it doesn't work. That would be more your white collar tech players. And so I think it's interesting to look at your business this way. If you look at my business today, let's share a detailing example. I would be considered the white collar part of my business today, but I started in the blue collar starting my business. So you have to make your transitions. You have to pick where you're going to go. You have to pick where you fit the best. And that happens in every business. There's no service-based business that doesn't have both. All right. So let's look at some things that we've seen across the industry, so to speak, of how maybe somebody might view what that might be inside of the detailing world, right? Like you had mentioned, maybe it's the guy that's cleaning the rims versus the guy that's figuring out how to answer the customer, right? That could be one way. If I want to be in the blue mindset, these are some things that I'll put out on social media, right? This is, it might be some ways that people could understand it. Why should we talk about this, right? You should talk about this for not only from understanding which direction you want to go, right? Blue or white, but also what am I putting out that might attract somebody who is blue or white, right? Yeah. Don't think of it just as yourself, but think of it as your company as a whole. Because if you're putting stuff out on social media, you're going to be speaking in a certain way. So if you're a blue mindset person, some of the things that people will put out on social media, they're going to talk about the bad breaks that they get. No one's ever listening to them. They're going to talk about complaining and how people always complain that, you know, it's always this and it's always that, right? Somebody that puts out complaints regularly is going to be a blue mindset. Why? Because a white mindset actually goes into problem solving when things happen. Yeah, bad stuff's going to happen. Right? I mean, that's what it comes down to. Uh, You know, when I was doing all the work in my business, I had a very different mindset than when I'm not doing all the work, right? It's almost like when you're in a situation of doing all of the work, 
you want to think about how hard you've been working and how that should be rewarded. Well, hard work isn't always rewarded. That's what we've been trying to tell people. That's why hard, work hard is such a bad piece of advice. Because without thinking hard and working hard, your business is never going to be successful. Working hard is just not the name of the game. It's both. How do I work hard, think hard, make my business successful? I think, like you said, what we see in our industry is that uh, going in a Facebook group, bitching about a customer, not having a solution, complaining that this keeps happening to you. And again, instead of saying from, again, that sales and marketing part of your business, that white collar part of your brain saying, how do I get out of these people? I keep complaining about those people. Because I can tell you, the people in my business aren't big complainers. Have I had big complainers? Yep. We all have. The, the real thing you have to answer to yourself if you're complaining about your customer base, which like you said, we'll see on forums and Facebook groups and whatever. The craziest thing is the real question should be, how do I get out of these people? Now let me problem solve and get to a type of person that isn't that way. Well, you got to flip that white collar hat on and think about sales and marketing to get into that next marketplace. And that's the problem solving that doesn't happen when you just have that simplistic mindset. Another thing we see on social is the amount of stuff people bought in their shoes. We talked about this as a funny one, right? Like shoes, yeah. clothing, or listen, I, I think it's interesting the what people wore at SEMA. How yeah. flashy some people get at, at expos, you know, the blings that they all start wearing. I the size of watches that show up yeah, in some people's sure. social media posts where sure. there's this guy trying to wipe on a product and he's got this huge watch on and you go. Yeah. If, that, if you happen to turn your hand wrong, that might scratch the paint. I mean, those of us that actually detail don't, don't usually wear watches when we detail, but yeah, what that I, is an odd uh, thing. What I remember about my uncle, which is probably why I do you and I are similar, right? I wear the same pants. I wear the same shirt. Now I'll trade it out for seasons and stuff like that. But I, I, I he'll show up. We're going to have lunch this week. He's going to show up in blue jeans that are creased down the middle that have been dry cleaned. Yep. He's going to show up in really clean, nice boots. And he's going to wear a blue or white collared button down shirt. Yep. He's worn that exact same outfit since I remember in high school, 20 plus years ago. And he'll still wear it all the way through his life. He has done the exact same thing for his clothing because maybe a white, and this is, this is personal too, right? Not everybody's this way, but there yeah. does seem to be some people that just go, cool, clothing is clothing. It's not really a, not into fashion or what yeah, people but, think but about. But also remember, I'm, they still wear nice stuff. Still wear nice stuff, yeah. Okay, they just don't. And there's a, there's a kind of a theory in, in the uh, luxury world. Okay. So, you know, we have some very wealthy clients. I always tell people this, my wealthy clients, you'll never catch a Gucci shirt, an Hermes shirt, any of that real wealth. They don't want any logos on their body. They don't want, they don't want to tag. And so I've had somebody tell me this before, like, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, dude, I have customers that have a net worth of four and $5 billion. I've been around them for 10 years. I can tell you who they wear. And you know who they wear? If the guys that are really into clothing in my business, the craziest thing is you've never heard of the brand. 
And when I found out what it is, they have them made for them by this person. Okay. That is the real sign. And by the way, it's always looks the same black t-shirts, uh, you know, the same type of suit. They may have a hundred of them cause they can afford it, but it's not a big part of their net worth. And that's the big difference here. It's like, I see guys going out and buying trucks all the time. My wealthiest clients as of recently this year have not really changed their car status much. The world's starting to get a little uneasy and they're like, eh, you know, maybe I'll just wait a little bit. Now they're still able to buy cars and it's not a big part of their net worth, but it's amazing. Like you say, you look at your, your, your uncle who's had all this success. I can name about 10 or 15 business people that I know. They're going to try to wear the same thing that they like, that they're comfortable in. And, you know, again, I know one of my buddies will be listening to this. One of my wealthiest buddies that I know that I do some business with will not wear anything other than a soft t-shirt. And he's got a ton of money in the bank. He's never going to wear a suit. And his motto and the people that I know's motto is, if they won't let me in in this, then I don't want to be there. They're not there to be flashy. And it is a very different mindset when you realize you can wear the nicest stuff. You look at the sweatshirts. For those that have gotten the hyper-clean T-shirts, we don't wear cheap stuff, you and I. We wear nice stuff, but it's quality understated and that's the most important thing and look what you'll realize is you won't waste as much money long term and if you buy the good quality, this is the reason why we both love quality if i'm going to wear the same thing over and over it's got to be able to last through four or five months of washing so many times using it so often staying resist i mean if you wear it over and over and over it's got to last yeah, uh, uh, two guys that I went to college with, they have one of the biggest like apparel brands now. It's it's called Homage, and they do all this sports apparel. It's the same thing. They they can tell you down to a T, when they got their sourcing right, their shirts lasted, right? It mattered. If you look at the pints and polishing shirt you're wearing now, those weren't our first things that we wanted to buy. But I think you actually know this, and and, and I can actually say this with a straight face too, is that one of the biggest things is those shirts have stayed the same since we got them a year ago. Yeah. I mean, people have probably seen this one on me since what March, April, when it started getting warm enough where I could wear not March, April, May, I could start wearing short sleeve t-shirts. I mean, I got four, maybe five, right? So it's what are we in November? You're the engineer. Tell me the math. What is that? Seven, eight months? Yeah, and they're like is the day we bought them. I mean, yeah. I got a bunch of those shirts. You got a bunch of those shirts. It's exactly what we've seen. And, uh, you know, I look at it, man, and you're right. This is kind of a random thing. I didn't know we were going to talk about, but watches and clothing and shoes and look, that stuff just isn't going to matter to your business. No. Uh, all right. One thing that might matter and might not is what people put out on social about their personal life. Now oh. I have been a victim. I can claim it a victim. No, you can't because you no, should know it. Right? You've been, a, you've you been should, somebody. You should done. never claim victim Parti status. Participator. <laughs> there you go. There you go. That's a much better way. Victim is a mindset, not a victim. I chose to do it, but I have in the past probably put out way too much about my personal life on social media 
But the one thing that you never know, and this is why it was so, it, it, it came to me like a massive, like, holy shit. My cousin sitting here telling me stuff. We're having lunch. Tell me about her uncle. I said it earlier. Family wasn't allowed in. I don't know about my uncle's personal life. Nobody except his closest family knows about his personal yeah. life. And the more success you have, the more you want it that way, because people come out of the woodwork. I just told you, I got several texts asking me for money for this random thing. The more people know about you, the more it can be used against you in business. That's probably the biggest way. We see a lot of people in this industry give a lot of political beliefs on the internet, which they're allowed to do. Okay. Uh, there's no judgment on my part, but people are judging you. Right. And, and so how do you take the mindset of, I don't have to participate in this. What about when people wake up and say, Hey man, I'm out here grinding and, but that attracts the wrong people. The people that are actually working hard to see that think you're not actually working hard because they know when they work hard, they don't have time to talk about how hard they're grinding and how they're on their grind and how that just doesn't work that way. And so I think most of this stuff, like I said, is, is how do you analyze this stuff to further your business interests, make yourself more money, make your business more successful. These simplistic things seem as if they don't matter, but when you have to make the transition into the white collar part of your business, if your attitude doesn't change, you're not going to get great results. And so that's the flip side of this is that we have so many people that are trying to grow their business. They reach out. How do I move into this? How do I make my business bigger? A lot of it is mindset based. It's not actually some type of special skill set. It's understanding. I actually talked to one of our distributors for an hour today. He knows who he is. And I said to him, I said, I keep getting asked about how to have success in the business and nobody wants to hear it. Get up early, go to bed late, work. That's the recipe. People think I'm going to give them some like sprinkle of secret sauce, but the vast majority of people don't want to hear it. I mean, you know this, you, you've talked to enough people that if that isn't you, man, this isn't, don't own a business. There's a lot easier ways to make money. You can work a nine to five and make a lot of money in today's economy if you're a good employee. And this is the interesting thing. He's a very successful business owner, has a big detailing business, is big on boats and different things like that. And you look at it and you go, his recipe is no different than mine. We may have different skill sets, but that get up early and go to bed late and keep working on your business in between seems to be how you get there and how many people just don't want to hear it. Well, so, I mean, it is a really long race there in a sense right oh, yeah. so they they might hear it and they want to but then in two weeks something happens and in four months and three years right it's it's an extremely extremely long race uh <laughs> listen yeah. it's a so, race so i'll actually share something that happened last week at sema i shared it with you but i haven't shared it here I see a lot of guys that never miss a practice, a lot of guys that have stuff all over their Facebook. That's really cool, okay? I know you're going there, so let me kind of share a story because I didn't tell you I was going to tell you this. Last Tuesday, SEMA started. You knew I had a ton of meetings on Tuesday. I had a birthday dinner inside my family I was supposed to be at. SEMA got shut down late, 5.15 or so, 5.30. I was in a parking structure a couple levels up, if you've ever been in one of those, when everybody's trying to get out, you're stuck. I was stuck in there an hour. By the time I got out of the parking structure and got on the freeway with all the traffic, they were already eating their entrees at the restaurant. Guess what I had to say? My bad. 
but I missed somebody's dinner I shouldn't have missed. I got this one week a year when I can have these meetings in person really easily. What am I supposed to do? And unfortunately, it was uncomfortable at my house, but I missed a birthday dinner. And that kind of sacrifice, if that mindset isn't you, I'm cool with that. But I'm telling you, this road is really hard. If you're not going to sacrifice things like that and do what's needed at that show, the odds you're going to get to the next level, I haven't seen any proof that it happens. I could be wrong and somebody could prove me wrong, but I can go to, to millionaires, billionaires, all these different people and say they've missed a lot. They haven't wanted to, but they stepped up when it had to be there. And I think that's ultimately why I love my Grand Wagoneer that's in my garage. The main thing that I remember about it when my dad finally decided to did he make a mistake going into business for himself? You could really question that, right? Like as we've talked, right? You could. One of the things that he realized is he needed to maximize every single second of the day. So I think one of my favorite things that I love about my Grand Wagoneer, the old 84, is it reminds me of sitting at football practice just before is about to start looking over at dad jumping out of the Wagoneer and he had books. He used his time very much the same way as I used my time later in life when I had daughters that wanted to go into gymnastics and well, I was divorced. If somebody was going to take those girls to gymnastics, it was going to be me and only me. Many men can relate to that statement. So what did I do? Well, I, I understood what my dad did. And I took my daughters to gymnastics. Did I feel that I needed to be there in gymnastics right up next to what they were doing like some parents are? Did I feel like I needed to go get a gymnastics coaching certificate so I could start coaching my daughters? No. I felt that I needed to do my role as his father, put them in an activity that they wanted to be in, and let the coach be the coach. Yep. Let the dad be the dad. And when the dad is being the dad, he's really making sure that, yeah, I know because I did coach my daughters in soccer for a little bit until I realized, you know what? They don't remember dad as a soccer coach. Even now, when I try and go back and talk to him, it's not really that big of a deal. You know what's going to be much better for them? Cool car when they turn 16. Sure, you ain't lying. Gas money when they turn 16. Yep. Insurance. You yeah, know, there's so much the more. There's so much more in their life from six years old to 16 that they're going to appreciate. That I'm so glad that, and I joked with you, right? Like, crazy what I was doing at those gymnastics with a computer and trying to do stuff, yeah. right? But I was yeah. working. I was working to better what their future, what my future, what our future might be. And I did not have to be the guy coaching. Yeah, I could let the coaches coach and I could work on my business. Yeah. And there's a different theory about it, that that's kind of hurt 
youth sports, all the parents wanting to be around. You know, I remember, uh, you know, not to get into a philosophical thing, but, you know, people weren't at our practices. I told you we had a football game when I was in high school, had 60,000 fans. It wasn't like I went to some podunk town. Uh, you know, I, you weren't allowed there. And the parents that did try to be there were looked at as weirdos. You look at it now and everybody's helicopter parenting every sporting event. This just goes to a mindset. Missing a game, none of us should or want to miss our kids' games. But to sacrifice nothing and expect everything is going to put you in a tough spot. And I think just one of the most important parts of this is for those of you trying to grow, you have to have a mindset of which one am I going to be in my business? Am I going to be the guy that does all the work, which means I then have to find people to do sales, marketing, and all of these other, other things, which is perfectly fine. But when you just do the work and you don't do the other stuff or don't hire somebody to do the other stuff or don't partner with somebody to do the other stuff, it's not going to get done. And so your growth gets stunted. You know, we always talk about if I'm in the middle of a detail and I'm trying to sell another detail and I got my machinery going and I'm trying to, it just doesn't work out long-term with growth. And this is where the mindset, and I, I promise you, there's not much else that needs to change, but your mindset. When your mindset realizes that both parts of your business matter and you can't answer to me, who's doing all of the white collar sales, marketing, customer relations, et cetera, your website stuff, whatever, you have a problem in your business. Because doing the work is never going to be enough. Making sure the rim is clean is never going to be enough. There's a separate aspect to our business. How am I assessing that part of my business? That's the best part of this conversation to me is realizing it's not one or the other. It's not which one's better than the other. I, I get tired of that conversation. I have respect for everybody in my business and the job and role that they have. One is not over the other. I promise you, we don't treat it that way. All right, let me stop you there before you use the magic word. I'm glad you hadn't used it yet. So let's close out this discussion with the magic word. It's not right or wrong. Let's reiterate what you just said, blue collar or white collar. It's not. We were looking at this from an aspect of, like I said, in a sense, rich dad, poor dad. Like I looked at it from this uncle that I didn't know a lot about. I know my dad very well, hearing things about my uncle and seeing everything that he did versus some other things that, that my dad did, right? This is a concept of blue collar, white collar. But overall, we should all want both white collar, blue collar, and they should all mix together in what we call a team. Yep. And here's the final point to this whole discussion. Overall, you want to build a team, a team mindset. Wow, that incorporates both white and blue. And so you, as the team leader, you get to do both. But Nick, walk us through a little bit. What does a team mindset mean? That nobody, nobody's job is above someone else's, that everybody makes the whole thing go. If you look at HyperClean two years ago and you look at where we're at now, we had to get through a lot of different stuff, right? We had to, to implement stuff. We had to plan for things, but boxes had to get packed, okay? Chemicals had to get mixed. Those are very blue-collar or what people would consider blue-collar entry jobs, right? Here's the craziest part. Somebody had to design the chemicals. That's white collar. 
So if that guy doesn't design them, then she can't put them into the mixer. If she can't put them into the mixer, she doesn't have a job, right? If she doesn't do that job, you can't put them into the box and ship them to your customer. So let's even go further up the chain. If you and I don't realize we need those chemicals, we can't tell the chemist to do the chemicals. So he doesn't design them. Now nobody has a job. And if those people don't do their job down the line, all this planning we did is irrelevant. Hey, it's really great. We have this idea for a chemical. Nobody made it. Nobody mixed it. Nobody put it in a box. So what does it matter? And the same goes for your detailing business. You could have the greatest process to polish a car. If nobody knows you, you can polish paint, nobody's going to hire you. So you still have to sell. You still have to market. But the thing that gets everybody in detailing to not take the next step into running their business, in my opinion, is they feel like they're going to give somebody a secret. Oh, if I teach that guy how to polish, something bad's going to happen. Trust me, it's not. I haven't really seriously detailed a car with my team in a very long time. You guys will see me hop in on big PPF jobs. You'll see me do some film because I am I want to do it. But the reality is my guys are way better at it than I am now. They don't want me in the way because it's what their strong suit is. It's what they get paid to do. And they know that I love the hell out of what they do. It doesn't mean it's perfect. Doesn't mean we don't have bad days. Doesn't mean I don't get mad. Doesn't mean they don't get mad. The point is, is that everybody has a role in this thing. But if you want to be one guy detailing cars for the next 30 years, there's a very easy way to stay on that train. We've seen it for the last 20 years of our careers is to keep thinking that the work is the only thing that matters. It isn't. You have to sell. You have to run the finances of your business. You have to plan. You have to do all these things. And if that's not your strong suit, all good. Either A, listen to us and go get a gig with a guy that's really good at running a business because I promise you it'll pay off and your life will be easier. B, keep in the solopreneur mindset. And there's nothing wrong with that either. But if you're somebody that's talking about growth, stop worrying about the work and ask who's being sold, who's being marketed to. Where's all that stuff in my business? And if you can't answer those questions, you either got to hire, you got to partner, you got to take an investor on, you got to do something because the more, the longer those things don't get done, the longer you're not going to have a big business because big business doesn't happen. Hyper cleans growth doesn't happen the way it's happened. If somebody's not selling, marketing, putting it in the box, mixing it, all those things combined. That's teamwork. And it, it sounds corny and, and silly, but when you put it in terms of just hyper clean and how something gets into a box, nobody's more important than anybody else. I mean, we can dream up the greatest stuff ever. Got to need somebody to put it in the box. I mean, going to need somebody to mix it. Going to need somebody to take and, and, and receive the product. And we're going to need somebody on the accounting side to make sure our money's not out. What's more important? There's nothing more important than the other. All that stuff goes into us getting product to the to the end result. And when you have the teamwork mindset, the proper mindset teamwork, not just some stupid catchphrase on the internet, and you realize how important everybody is, I promise your business will go through the roof, in my opinion. We almost lead to wonder then what color does blue and white make? Is that purple? Is that like amazing? I mean, overall, what you're saying is, well, that's the formula. It's not about blue or white. It's about having a team. It's blue about everybody white. doing everything. It's not or. It's yeah. and. 
yeah. need both of it. And, and again, for those of you that are stuck, answer the question in your detailing business. Who's selling? Who's marketing? Who's doing the accounting? Who's checking the money? If, if, if you don't have legitimate answers and you're like, yeah, I, I market. Okay, well then tell me. If you can't list those out, then you don't have a marketing part of your business. Now you have to answer that question. And, and that honesty is going to get your growth to go through the roof, I think. Yeah. Because I messed it up. I can just tell you. I waited two and a half years too long to get it. So my business was two and a half years behind the eight ball because I was just worried about the work and I wasn't answering who's selling, who's marketing, who are we talking to, how are we following up on leads. I didn't do any of that. And it put me behind the eight ball for a few years. I think it's a great episode. People are going to probably listen to multiple times as they go back and try. And once again, let's reiterate, it's not a, it's not a, <laughs> it's not a right or wrong. It's not a, and no. or it's, it's a team. So how do you build a team around your strengths and your weaknesses? It's what you and I have done. It's what yep. we firmly believe in. So we wish the best for everybody as they go out, listen to this oh, yeah. a couple of times. All good. Go share it out. Plenty of people are going to need this information. Nick, have a great week, brother. Enjoy your night. Talk to you. All right, man. See ya. Hey, community. Wow. Listen, I know you're going to probably want to listen to that a couple of times. So if you're hearing me for the third time in this part, all good. Go be a part of the community specialist group. It's a hyperclean specialist. Go. It's on Facebook. Interact there. It, it will be beneficial to you. But let me reiterate and let's go over this one last time so you make sure where we're at. You need to decide which one you like, blue or white. Blue and white together as a team makes light blue, according to Google. So make a light blue team. It's both. It's not and or, right? Find out, and this is what Nick and I have done. This is what makes us, we've said it openly. This is what makes us yin and yang. Find then people that will meet your weaknesses with their strengths so that you can make sure your strengths are what push you on to the next level and their strengths are what push you on to the next level. Your weaknesses are held up by their strengths and their weaknesses are held up by your strengths. A team approach to life, a team approach to business. Here we go. A team approach to community. This is why. So go be a part. We love you all. Have a great night. This is Marshall. Make it a great day.